Is there such a thing as a subject that you shouldn't play games about? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, we're going to get deadly serious. Violence, injustice, war. We write books and watch movies about these things all the time, but what does it mean when we publish and play games about these things? Is it an approachable way to begin a difficult conversation, or is it a disrespectful trivializing of human suffering? We're going to start that difficult conversation about it right here. Welcome back to the Snakes Cast, everyone, and welcome back, Maddie McLean. Hello. And Coco Lee. Hi. We're going to start right in with one of the most brutal and devastating sources of human suffering war. War is also one of the most popular themes for board games. Board games about World War II, the American Civil War, and so on are quite popular. How do the two of you feel about playing war games? Do you enjoy them? I can't say that I don't. And I've played a lot of them, and I often enjoy the mechanics, and I think that it's a, it's a theme that lends itself to board games because of the inherent conflict. Absolutely. So you have built-in opponents. I think fighting is one of the most natural human elements, so it makes sense that a lot of games would, be, would gravitate towards that because it's very easy to build an uh, idea around conflict of war because mm-hmm. it's, it's just so prevalent throughout our history. Yeah, even the most, uh, the most ancient games, things like Go or Chess, you know, these, these are modeled after armed conflict. So does it matter in this sort of a game what side you're on? I mean, is, should you feel something when you're playing a World War II game as the Germans? Or when you're playing a American Civil War game as the South, are these are these questions that uh, that we should really be thinking about, or is this just no, no, no? It's it's a game. Just enjoy it as a game. I think it's really, really important to think about the questions whether or not you enjoy it as a game, or to think sorry to think about the role that you're playing, whether or not you enjoy the game. Because if you if you alienate the game from all of the history that went into it, then I do think it's a trivialization. Mm. But I think especially when you're playing as the bad guys in history. Yeah, bad guys. The bad quotes, guys, quote unquote. How how are you portraying their victims? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what does it what does it mean for you as a victor in that game when you're winning as the bad guy? Sure. Uh, and again, even if even if we accept that uh, that Germany in World War II was the bad guys, we don't get to see things like concentration camps. We don't get to see these sorts of things. What happens instead is Germany expanding its borders and and getting a certain number of victory points. And it's all abstracted, and none of it actually comes out. Um, well, I guess it comes from, we're also coming from a cultural bias that doesn't have to deal with war on a constant basis as well. That's true. And so, mm-hmm. on the one hand, if we we are very privileged to be a part of the system that, you know, we are in a space where we can have safe talks about war without having to deal with any of the negative consequences. Mm-hmm. Stuff that did happen close to our home or we were involved in, uh, it can be difficult for us to put our... our soldiers in their boots as it were so it's on the one hand i think it is it's very difficult to uh, almost play as the germans in memoir 44 or in axis and allies or that sort of idea Sure, because you sort of you have to put yourself in the mind of a loyal german soldier who's protecting their home mm-hmm. and their rights uh, not in terms of some evil nazi monster who is trying to do horrible things and destroy the world well, i was just saying at the at the same time it also helps you breathe sympathy with those people and sure. what they were going through and how and uh, they, they lose their friends in battle. You know, they die, they suffer, uh, their people suffer. So does this trivialize the events surrounding war? You know, the causes, the aftermath? You know, if, if, since the game itself is li- likely only going to focus on the conflict itself, the battles, and leaving aside 
things like you know the starvation that happens in the wake of fields being burned, uh, this sort of thing is. Is, is, is that something that, uh, that, you, that you want to be aware of? If you consider, I'm thinking, I think that it's the, uh, the Game of Thrones board game where you mm. have to incorporate uh, gaining influence and feeding your subjects and feeding your, your armies. I think that maybe that helps people conceptualize a little bit better the terrors of war, if you'll forgive a cliched expression. Sure. But I wonder if you're going to play a war game, if there's any way to play it right aside from just trying to be aware, just trying to be aware of the suffering of the people who are not you. If we're talking about suffering, you can also take one step further with a game like Freedom, where you're actually... Oh, Freedom, the Underground Railroad. ...actively trying to help groups of slaves cross the borders into Canada during, essentially, what is... The, the lead-up to the Civil War, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that game adds a lot to not only your appreciation of that whole movement in that time, because... As you're going through, you get the different cards, which each have different... It's full of all this contextual stuff. You find mm-hmm. it about people and places and events mm-hmm. that took place during that period. Mm-hmm. But also as it's going on, like you grow attached to these little brown cubes as they're moving up. And anytime you lose one, you feel, you feel it. You feel mm-hmm. awful. And the fact that you can't save everyone is even more uh, difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to sacrifice some of them so that others, a lot more of them, can reach safety. So what I'm hearing is that adding context cues to the game helps you conceptualize the the reality of the experience and helps you be more conscientious when you play it. I think freedom has really gone to great lengths to provide that context in play, not just in the rules, not just in ancillary material, mm-hmm. but in the actual play itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something that's difficult to do in a game that's just strictly about war, I think. What about the matter of distance. I mean, something that's ripped from today's headlines, something you know, like six days in Fallujah, uh, that may be may need to be treated somewhat differently than something that happened in the distant past, like Persia versus Greece, you know, Alexander versus Darius, or something that happens in a fictional world, you know, uh, aliens versus other aliens, mm-hmm. or, or Game of Thrones. The Game of Thrones game. Like yeah. you mentioned. Um, what does distance do? How does that affect questions of the morality, the appropriateness of subject matter in a board game. It seems to make us feel less morally culpable for playing them, but is that legitimate? Is that is it really an ethical... Is it okay to be a Lannister? Yeah. <laughs> is it okay to be a Lannister, or is it okay to be uh, King Leonidas in the 300? Mm. When you... I mean, the distance almost makes you more ignorant about the situation, and I think it does allow you to trivialize something that you might not be super familiar with. Mm-hmm. Especially like the War of uh, the Ten Kingdoms, or the... or the Five Kings. Yeah, the the Qin Dynasty. Oh, sorry, Qin. Yes, yes. Uh, but there's a lot of games along those lines where we don't have the same context as people uh, from the China. Yeah, China. Yes, right. I was just like I wasn't sure if it was. That's okay. Mm-hmm. But like, obviously, I don't have the same kind of context relating to that particular dispute as someone from China would and or maybe they don't even if it's I think something else that uh, that comes is not only distance from the perpetrators but distance from the victims absolutely I mean I mean you don't have to worry about innocent people being slaughtered in Westeros you know they're they're not going to be offended by this you don't have to worry about uh, well you have to worry about innocent people being slaughtered in Westeros because it's going to happen yes (laughs) But you know, we're not, we don't have to worry about being insensitive to, uh, to the victims of mm-hmm. Lannister violence. Uh, similarly, it's not likely that you're going to find people from, uh, you know, whose families have uh, suffered from the conquests of Alexander 
On the other hand, if we're going to talk about the American Civil War, if we're going to talk about World War II, the fact that that's historically more close to us, I mean, how does that affect our experience of these games? Or how should it affect our experience of these games? Should it at all? Or is just suffering suffering, whether it's present or in the distant past or even in a fictional world? I think... I wonder if if participating in a fictional world allows you to sympathize with people and to have a better grasp on suffering. I think about how I sobbed uh, when a very important character died in Harry Potter, mm. but I don't sob when I read about the daily deaths and murders that happen all around the world. So does does getting to know that character help me to understand their pain and does that make it more okay that I'm playing the game about them? Or does it further remove you from the fact that uh, in these situations where you're connecting better to fictional characters than you are for people who are actually existing and going through this stuff in the real world. It's it's a difficult, difficult question to answer because there's no easy answers in any of the situations. It seems like there aren't any easy answers to any of these questions. Yeah. And board games, is it board games are part of our livelihood, but they're also part of our escape. Um, and it seems as though we're valuing some board games that are teaching us to conceptualize violence like uh, Freedom, Underground Railroad, but it's also allowing us to escape or, or to reduce the reality of other forms of violence. We're going to be moving on to a topic that's potentially even more incendiary. The idea of this episode came from listener William Weiler. Thank you for writing in, William. And for the first time on the Snakes cast, I need to issue a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about sexual violence, which is not generally speaking a thing that one identifies with board games. But there have been a substantial number of board games about Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. And this is obviously a very, very fraught subject. Now, in Letters from Whitechapel in particular, this is the game that William is asking about. One player is going to be Jack the Ripper. The other players are going to be a team of investigators who are trying to find and arrest him before he can kill four women and get back to his hideout. As Jack the Ripper, as the Jack player, you actually have to murder a certain number of women who sort of wander about the board without any particular agency of their own and who exist only so they can be killed by Jack player and then safely get back to his hideout without being found and arrested. A certain number of times and after four nights of this, if you manage to do this, Jack wins. If Jack is caught, then the investigators win. The whole thing is presented with a very impressive degree of polish. The board is beautiful, uh, but in a horrible sort of way. You know, it's an actual map of historic Whitechapel. The whole thing has a very grim, mm -hmm. uh, very dark sort of aesthetic. This is not glamorized. And yet, and yet, I mean, we are talking about violence against sex workers. Is there a way, is, is it possible even to handle this kind of material respectfully, or at least more respectfully? This is a really, really challenging question, and especially for me because I have played the game and significantly enjoyed it. Mm. It is, like you said, very well designed. Um, the mechanics function effortlessly, but I think, sorry, not effortlessly, but the mechanics function very well. It's, it's, it's a really interesting challenge. Mm -hmm. The whole, everybody at that table is engaged. Mm -hmm. you know, the teamwork between the police players is fascinating. Have you mm -hmm. played Whitechapel? I have, and it's, it's a wonderful game, but it does deal with a very heavy subject matter, which... Mm -hmm. And I'm, uh, the biggest problem that I had with it is that the, the female characters, are, they're barely even characters. They call them the wretched. The wretched. The, right. the victims mm -hmm. both are effectively randomized. They have very little agency. They, have, they don't have characters or you can't play as them. And they, 
also serve as one of the main means of catching Jack. So the success for the detectives relies on the death of the wretched. Without any sort of playability or agency, it does seem a little bit, I can't, it's difficult to say disrespectful again because of the distance, but it certainly seems a little bit, uh, well, troublesome. Well, just the fact that they're called the wretched, it, it implies that there's something horrifically wrong about them, mm-hmm. horrifically wrong about what they're doing. I believe it's which... meant to be from Jack's point of view. Yeah. True. Um, and that in of itself is, again, kind of incendiary. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that they're just called that, that, ugh, that, mm-hmm. that elicits well, a reaction. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it goes with the whole idea where as soon as you name something, you're connected to it. Mm-hmm. So if, they, if these characters had a name and suddenly one of them was to die... What would that imply versus just versus just calling them the wretched and then having that be the... Do they have that in the rule book? I know they have some of the actual letters that Jack sent to Boss. You know, the, the, that's, that, was, that was how he addressed the police in these mm-hmm. letters to, uh, to Scotland Yard. But do they, do they have the names? I think so, if I recall correctly, but I could be mistaken. There's I think quite a bit of historical stuff in there. There is. And that's, again, uh, there's so much historical context in the game and it is so, it's presented so in such a visually stunning way. It's, it's challenging. It's challenging not to like the game because mm-hmm. of its myriad good qualities. Is it better to retheme something like this to something more innocuous? Like uh, William, our, our, our writer, was asking, considering the, the difficulty, the, the unpleasantness, the, the trouble with this subject matter, is it better to retheme this, to say that, uh, well, what's happening here is this is the uh, the kitten kidnapper who's leaving a trail of red bows. Uh, is, is is that better or worse? I would say, in, in my opinion, it's worse, because I feel like it's taking the punch out of the game. Though it's, it's not a game designed to make you feel good. Mm-hmm. It's a game designed to make you feel satisfied that you are tracking down a killer. It's designed to make you feel tense. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is a very tense game. For, bo- just... for both sides. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe if you're presenting it to a child... Maybe having something like that to make I it would more. Not play I'd be this very game impressed. With a child. Be very impressed oh. with the kid that's able to handle this game. <laughs> that is true. That's true. Um, but it, it's it requires a certain amount of maturity a to get into this game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, I think that that the amount of maturity required to get into this game also is indicative of the fact that you can handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anybody, anybody, I think who has the cognitive capacity to understand the gameplay likely knows that Jack the Ripper murdered women. So I think that by by euphemizing the, the the central element of the game, you're trivializing the whole situation. But I think the one thing that kind of bothered me about this game is just the character of Jack the Ripper is based off of someone real, mm-hmm. a very real killer who did very real things. And, and that's who was what, never found. That's debatable. They think they actually might have found him recently. <laughs> Possible. We'll find out. But uh, essentially there was this whole, like what makes him so different is that he was based off a real person, whereas someone like Sweeney Todd who is a character that I, like, shamelessly, I love the musical. Like, I grew up with mm. that. And, like, I shamelessly love that. But I can love that because it's based off of fiction? Or the murderer in Clue. Yes. Or I the would, Professor Plum. I would argue that a major difference between Sweeney Todd and Jack the Ripper is that Sweeney Todd murdered people whose actions were actually morally reprehensible. So <laughs> Which people is... who were evil and people who missed, well, I guess they mistreated everybody, including him. And they mistreated him, so it's a little bit egotistical. But like Jack the, <laughs> Jack the Ripper's motivation was murdering sex workers because sex workers are bad. And we all know that that's not an acceptable motivation to murder someone. Absolutely. Hopefully. If you didn't, now you do. The snake yeah. cast does not endorse murder. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about uh, the Mr. Jack series? You know, there's uh, the Bruno Catala and um, Serge Leger who did this one. 
sorry, I can't remember the designer's names offhand. But uh, this is a, the Mr. Jack series. There's Mr. Jack and Mr. Jack Pocket. In these games, one, there are two players. One player is Jack. The other player is the police. But there's no murder here. Instead, Jack is trying to escape from the neighborhood, and the police are just trying to close the net. So how, how does that play into this? Is that better? Is that worse? Personally, I, th- I think it kind of trivializes the situation, whereas... Letters of Whitechapel takes itself very seriously. Right, we gloss over the murder. I mean, the original Mr. Jack even has this cute, chibi cartoon art style to it. Which is what I, I've always been like, well, it doesn't quite fit with the theme. The game is fantastic. Hmm. Like, it, it's a wonderful series. They've done some great things with the, with the gameplay. But the whole idea of being like, well, this is what's happened. And I guess in, in one hand, it is better because it's very possible that your Mr. Jack could be Miss Stealthy, which is a woman. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, a plus for equality. It could happen. Although it still doesn't make much sense that Madam would be doing this in the Mr. Jack Pocket version. Well, perhaps... Uh, no, I'm not going to go into those motivations. Have you played <laughs> the Mr. Jack games? I have not. It's it's interesting. They're just they're, they're simple deduction games. One person's trying to solve a puzzle. The other mm-hmm. player is trying to prevent them from solving it. In some ways, not dissimilar from Whitechapel. But they're, they're, they're much easier, they're much simpler, and there's no murder. Uh, and one of them is actually cute. It's it's hard to say, I guess. I mean, does does the fact that these gloss over the reality of what precedes this something that we want to something that should be addressed, or is that like no, this is actually better because that way we don't have to worry about the 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 upset, the the, the question of, of of these murders themselves. We can just avoid that and get to something that's gamey and that uh, and, and that doesn't involve those things directly. Again, with something that's from a real historical context, we know that those murders we know that those murders occurred. You can't you can't deny that. You can't play without knowing that. Or I'd be very impressed if you managed to make it to adulthood <laughs> without knowing that story. If you're playing with someone who's triggered by sexual violence and by violence against women, playing if you have to play a game about Jack the Ripper, you could play one that doesn't in, actively involve the murders. So maybe but, somebody's interested in the whole Victorian milieu and the mm-hmm. mystery and the hunt, mm-hmm. but. And in that in that case, though, there are a lot of secret movement games or puzzle solving games that don't treat that subject matter at all. So it maybe is just safer not to, depending on the people that you're playing with. And even one that shares the same brethren as Mr. Jack with Phantom of the Opera mm-hmm. or Le Phantom de l'Opera, as I like to call it. <laughs> but in this in the game, it still uses a lot of the same gameplay. You're still trying to do the same basic thing, but it's based off a fictional universe where, you know. Uh, sex workers aren't murdered. Mm-hmm. So that's always a plus. Mm-hmm. I think that overall, as with all of the challenging subject matter games that we're talking about today, it's just important to be conscientious conscientious of the subject matter and of, the, of how you're treating that in your discussions around the game. Are you being respectful to the victims even, even as the character is murdering them? All right, one more hot button issue to go through, religion and faith. One game that I've enjoyed a great deal is Chaos in the Old World. This is a game where players are, we've actually discussed it in in previous episodes of the Snakes cast, where the players are evil gods who are destroying the world. We've got the god of slaughter, we've got the god of disease, we've got the god of change, and we've got the god of sin. And they're essentially duking it out, killing people, and, uh, but... It's not so much the killing people. We've gone over that before. It's the fact that you are playing as a deific figure. And there are people who are devoutly religious, who who play games, who will not play Chaos in the Old World because they're not comfortable with, with going to that place. And there's, there are, the, these are fictional gods. Depictions of gods, religion, and mythology in other games are not necessarily something that's easy to find an answer for. Again, I mean, should you be playing Mahayoda if you are not familiar with 
the gods of the Hindu pantheon? Should you be playing Yggdrasil if you're not familiar with the gods of, of, the, of the Norse myths? Should you be playing Kemet and sacrificing people to get prayer points if you're not really all that grounded in the gods of ancient Egypt? And where, where do we draw the line? What is and isn't appropriate when it comes to religion and faith in games? Well, as I've shared on this podcast before, I come from a very strictly religious family. And I grew up in the church, and as such, one of the things I wasn't allowed to do for a long time was play board games, because a lot of them had that science fiction-y, fantasy, other gods, are, other gods are bad, we are the only true god mentality, and try not to say cult mentality, that, that mentality of this is how the world is, don't break the mold. For my personal background, like anytime I get to play a game like that where I'm just like, flip the table, let's, <laughs> let's have some fun and kill things. I'm totally all over it, but coming from that background, I can definitely see, like, I still have friends who are just like, oh, we can't play that. It has demons in it. Mm. I'm just like, well, you're missing out because it's it's a great game. So I recognize that I have a very strong bias in accordance to mm. this. But none of us can escape our biases. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Well, and I yeah. am, you know, really pro-pork products and generally like drinking. So it's you can't... The, the missing out mentality is hard to manage because anybody who doesn't adhere to a faith will argue in favor of the things that they do because they don't adhere to that faith, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe not anybody, but certainly me. <laughs> you were still going to post those pictures of bacon on Facebook. Yeah. That is, that's, that, that's going to happen. With reverence. <laughs> but the whole idea of like uh, being respectful of other people's faith, I absolutely believe in. Like We have a lot of Jewish couples who come into the store and they want to play certain games and there's certain elements that they're what they're looking for and what we're trying to present to them. Yeah. Uh, if, there's, it's, if it's Saturday, you want to make sure you don't give them something that's going to involve writing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And I, if you want to take it away from organized religion and just talk about someone's moral code, you could have anybody who's really not pleased with kittens in a blender. That's <laughs> one of the things. Are, I, are you on that list? I just don't get the appeal. I just <laughs> I can't. But back to what you were saying, Jonathan, I think, again, it's a question of distance and a question of... Not that it makes it acceptable, but ancient are, you know, ancient mythological figures more acceptable to play with? Is it okay to play with an analog of a religious figure? And I, I don't I don't have the answer for that. It's true. And uh, and whether it's ancient or not, these these are still with us. I mean, mm-hmm. Hinduism is a living faith. Jesus mm-hmm. is an ancient religious figure, and Fair. he's very much a part of people's lives these days mm-hmm. and, uh, and is likely to continue to be for a long time. He is a superstar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, ultimately, I think it comes down to the... A lot of these topics comes down to ultimately the person knowing and recognizing where their own boundaries are and sure. never imposing on other people, but always knowing what your comfort level is. And I think that's ultimately what it comes to. Yeah, the but- great thing about board games is that they are adjustable. And if you need to have a personal narrative that somehow makes everything more accessible for you, then it's not a bad thing. It's just recognizing that this is my limit and this is how I want to experience the same game, but still enjoy it for myself in my own way. And now we get to the really hard part, um, the responsibilities that we have as players, as designers, as publishers of these sorts of things. Does it make you a bad person if you buy and play and enjoy these games? Does it make you a bad company if you publish these games without what some would consider an appropriate context, an appropriate material to sort of avoid trivializing these things? What? What is okay? I mean, what should we feel bad about? Well, as someone who has designed a game featuring multiple gods from the Greek pantheon, <laughs> right. two of which are sitting right here with me right now, <laughs> uh, 
I don't know where I was going with that, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a you bring up an interesting point though, is that you are in no way connected to ancient Greek faith. Is it possibly ethical for you to treat that subject matter respectfully and with the dignity it deserves or something? But it, again, no, not really. It's not possible for you to treat it because it's not part of your cultural context. It's You could call it cultural appropriation. But was your portrayal of any of the gods harmful? Was it disrespectful to someone who does adhere to that faith? And is it ever ethical to produce or play or enjoy something that's not a part of your your cultural heritage? Like, I think in terms of like hard ethics, no, but from your pragmatic point earlier, if you, if that's a part of your narrative that you're okay with dealing with, and as long as you're treating it respectfully, then I think that the diversity in board games is kind of exciting. I think we can all agree that the only truly horrible, terrible board game out there would be the one that keeps us in business. <laughs> And let's just not mention it. Let's just have it be a surprise for anyone who could possibly not know what that sure. game is. And, and, and there are plenty of examples of games that are just deliberately uh, racist or deliberately... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, I'm, I'm not going to dignify these things, these things by mm-hmm. mentioning them. Not necessary. You know, Anita Sarkeesian said something that I really agree with. She, was, she clearly wasn't the first person to say that. But she said that it is possible to enjoy something, to love something, and still acknowledge that there are elements about it that aren't great. This is, this is not a condemnation of the, the game itself. This is not a condemnation of the people who play it. Maybe not even of the people who make it. I have to agree wholeheartedly with that, and I think that's the most eloquent way of putting it. It's, you can, I think you can only condemn something based on somebody's reaction to it. Mm. Or you can only condemn a person based on their reaction to the inclusion of a different culture or a different religion or a different lifestyle in a board game. So what, what are some ways that we can, can try to, uh, to react to things in a way that will make things better and not worse? Well, I think the best way is as long as you are recognizing that you are tr- at least attempting to treat everything with respect and reverence. And these are other people with other issues. These are other people who are real people who are going through things that are different than you. Mm-hmm. As long as you can recognize that in yourself and as long as we – if we all truly recognized each other – the world would be a much better place. <laughs> I think I think what you're getting at <laughs> is asking or listening when someone tells you that they have a problem with something. So when you want to play letters from Whitechapel and somebody says, oh, that kind of makes me uncomfortable because of the violence against women. Are you going to say, ah, come on, it's not a big deal? Or are you going to say, oh, okay, how about we try this instead? Or how about let's talk about this? Yeah, you, Again, you're not going to get any easy answers. We've, that's, mm-hmm. If we've learned one thing from this today, that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But the conversation is worth having. Mm-hmm. And uh, just getting all defensive and saying, oh, don't take my games away from me, mm-hmm. is not a good way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. These conversations do need to happen. And I think it's amazing that they are happening, that, that something as, uh, as, as, as fun as board games can lead to sort of exploration of these things and paving a way for greater empathy and understanding is, is is just fantastic. And board games as a story, as a means of telling a story, can be a great way to get someone's get someone's narrative out there. Mm-hmm. And, and also express... to relate to something that is not your particular narrative. Mm-hmm. You have to put yourself in the position of the character you're playing in a game, mm-hmm. or you can't play it. Precisely. And that's what makes games so special. <laughs> <laughs> I need a hug. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for sticking with us through this episode. These aren't easy topics, but cultural critique is something that all serious artistic media are subjected to. We've made a start here, but only scratched the surface. We hope that you'll continue this conversation with the people that you play with. If there's another topic you'd like to hear about on the show, please do tweet it to us at SnakesCast. Coco, Maddie, I really appreciate you being here for us. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I hope you listen to your friends. The Snakes Cast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. The opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it, not the company behind it. Same time next week. Game on.